Hey, good morning, everybody. Y'all glad to be here? Say amen. Come on. Welcome to the assembly. So I see you survived, and everybody's kind of getting well a little bit, so praise the Lord for that. Hey, let me brag on the Lord for a minute. This uh, place was packed this morning at 9 o'clock. We got to see a young lady named Isabella get saved this morning, man. It was good. Got to do baptism in the hot tub this morning. It's been a good, good Sunday. So anyway, just really, really thankful. Feels good to be back in the assembly. We missed, you know, have been missing folks for the last couple weeks and all that stuff. But anyway, a couple things that I want to bring to your attention just really, really quickly. Last week, we put uh, pieces of paper on every seat for you to take and fill out and give us your pertinent information. We're doing our best to update files and get ready for the new church year, which starts in September. And so we're asking you as a family to fill that, that out or an individual. If you didn't get one last week, let Jonathan bring you one of those. If you'll raise your hand, you can fill it out and then you can turn it in. As you leave, take time to fill that out. You don't have to listen to the sermon this morning. Just fill out the paper, right? Do, uh, hey, do your diligence. And anyway, that'll give us all the information that we need. Hey, lots going on as far as church family goes. And uh, anyway, decisions coming up in the future that we need to make well. Anyway, we want the proper uh, records. So anyway, that's that. Another thing that I want to invite you to be a part of is to... Serve the family of Jana Jones. So Jana passed away maybe two weeks ago now. And we're going to minister to her family here on Saturday, July the 2nd. There's going to be a a memorial service for her at 10 a.m. And then there's going to be a meal that follows that here at Harvest Church. And we're asking you to help us love that family well. Hey, bring a a dish, bring a casserole, you know, Whatever you're famous for. If chicken and dumplings is your thing, bring it. And we'll, we'll help you. We'll, we'll minister to that family. We want, want to love them well. For those of you who have questions about, hey, what does it mean to be part of, a, of Harvest Church formally? Maybe you have questions about membership and that kind of thing. I want to invite you July the 3rd. We will meet at 1230 right after the 11 o'clock service. We'll meet in the fellowship hall and we'll have lunch together. We'll sit, sit around. I'll answer your questions and I'll give you some information that you need to know about membership and, you know, just what all that means. So we want to extend that invitation to you. Then let's see. Finally, I think that's about it. Other than if you have students that are going to go to camp July the 11th through the 15th, that's at Lake Teakata. That's for high school students. If you have uh, students that want to go be part of that, then if you'll let Hayden Parkinson, a.k.a. Suge, know about that, then he will take your information, get you all signed up and ready for that. Anyway, hey, man, it's been a great, great day. I'm looking forward to what the Lord does in your heart and mine as we worship Him together. I was just really enjoying having the praise team back in the house. It was good. Seemed like they have been gone for a month of Sundays. And anyway, just really, really good. I want to welcome you. If you're a guest, first time here, hey, we, we are so glad that you came. We really are. Want to get to know you. Want to know how we can help you, serve you, whatever we can do. We want to do that. With that being said, hey, let's open our text. You, you guys, come on. Y'all came this morning to worship the Lord, to know more about Him. and So let's, let's dive in. Before we do that, let me just uh, lead us in a time of prayer. Let me do that. So Eddie Robertson this morning is at Memorial Hospital. We're going to lift him up to the Lord together today. Then, from what I understand, David King has had um, some issues and is at the hospital as well. And so anyway, hey, y'all bow with me. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name. God, it sure is good, Lord, to be among believers, to have sweet fellowship together. God, to feel your presence and sing praises to your name and just to know that you are our God, and we are your people, and you love us, and we need you. And, and today's are days of encouragement. They are days where we get the spiritual temperature just really turned back up so that we can function and thrive as believers. It sure is good to have faith family, and I pray you'd encourage us together. We pray for Eddie, God, just your covering for him, protection, 
for him. And God, we pray for healing for his body. We have watched you do amazing, amazing things in and around this fellowship. And we recognize that. We give you praise for that. And we ask you, Lord, to do it again. We pray for David and Denise as well. And, and God, just the same physical blessing according to your good purpose and your divine will. And God, your goodness. God, you are good. We ask you, God, to, to bless. We love them and we miss them in the assembly. We pray you take care of them. And we know that you will. In Christ's name, amen. All right, everybody. Hey, get your copy of the Word of God. Stand to your feet. Let's read three verses of Scripture in the book of 1 Timothy, the end of chapter 1. want to just kind of set some context as you find your place. This is a very personal pastoral letter, and it is written with a divine purpose. The instruction is, Timothy, I want you to instruct. I want you to help this church at Ephesus, these people, these believers, to, to not only organize your, themselves well, but to behave well in the house of God and to bring glory to the name of Jesus. So it is a very uh, instructional letter. It begins with relationship and, you know, just the closeness of a father and a son. It spills over into this uh, urgency to deal with false teachers. And last week, we, you know, we enjoyed just some praise in the house. Paul leaves that conversation, and, and it's a glory celebration as he just kind of rehearses what God has done in his own life personally. And, and he makes statements like, you know, praise be to God who has chosen me, he's saved me, who am chief of, of sinners. Anyway, just a, a, a bit of praise. And today is, is really, it's transition. It's, it's a pivot into the real meat of what Paul wants to say. There's going to be real, real, you know, pointed instruction as it has to do with what happens in the house of God. So things like the roles of men and women and what leadership in the church should look like and, you know, the importance of sound doctrine and teaching, all that stuff is going to be categorized and laid out. But this pivot point, if you will, is where we'll launch today, and I want to do so this way just so that I capture your attention. So I want you to remember this title, This is War. Take, take that into your spirit, let that sink in for a minute, and know that that's the tone of what I want to speak into your spirit today. According to the, the Word of God, we... We have battles. This is how we fight our battles. So this is an engaging text. It's an exhortation to fight well. So let's read together. I'm going to read. You follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them... You may wage the good warfare. There it is. Warfare language. Having faith, having a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, and because of that, they've suffered shipwreck. And then he calls names, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is a heavy text. It's guarded in battle language. That's not new to the New Testament, but in this text, there are individuals that are brought to the surface. They are examples of what we need to learn today as we consider this idea, this is war. Father, speak to your people. Encourage our hearts together as we think about the task before us, the reality of the importance of your church, its passion, its purity. God, that you might challenge our hearts. Speak, be glorified in Christ's name. 
Amen. As you find your seat this morning, hey, you know, normally we, we don't, um, you know, begin discussions like, like that. But I, I want you to, to just kind of understand with me this morning the reality that spiritual warfare is a real deal. It's, you know, it's, it's spelled out for us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and all that stuff. There is, you know, there is a battle that rages around us. And to be really honest, there is a battle that rages in us. And so if you'll just kind of look in the mirror with me for a minute and let's, let's just recognize who our greatest enemy is, it's trifold. And it's me, myself, and I. If, if we don't get, you know, structure and foundation for anything else, I want, I want to help you this morning to fight spiritual warfare well, even internally as you think about your thoughts and your passions and your desires and all that stuff. Recognize, hey, we're in a, we're in a battle. It's in a fight. So these terms are, are really kind of spelled out. By Paul, wage a good warfare. There is admonition, exhortation. Timothy, there's a battle. Recognize it and be ready to fight well. Here's a a couple opening statements just to kind of draw you in. The first is this. In these few verses, there is transition in tone. We go from praise to the serious nature of, of what Timothy is charged to accomplish at the church at Ephesus. He's got to set things in order. He has to deal with false teachers. He has to organize. He has to make sure that the church has strength and structure. And that's exactly what uh, we're trying to do through this summer, is to set boundaries and guidelines according to Scripture so that we know how to behave ourselves as the people of God within the confines and structures of the church of the living God. It is a reaffirmation, if you will. These verses are a reaffirmation of what Paul has already introduced in the beginning of this letter. The first part of the charge is found in the first few verses, verse 3, in fact, and it's the charge to silence false teachers. This reaffirmation is the charge that shines the light on the nature of the conflict that will be encountered as the charge is carried out. In other words, silence false teachers, that's the, that's, that's the charge that's given. Now in this text, once again, I charge you, son Timothy, wage a good warfare. Well, it shines light on the conflict that's going to result or can result as this structure is put in place. What I want you to know, this is, this is war. Put that into your spirit as we go through the text. First Timothy is receiving orders from a superior to engage the enemy. Here's some thoughts. These are just thoughts from your pastor. War language is used in this text, and not just this text. I mean, we're admonished by Paul in, in the Ephesian letter to... Put on the armor of God and be ready to withstand the, the attacks, the wiles of the devil. We're admonished to wage a good warfare. In 2 Timothy, he says, he says, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so this language is scattered throughout the New Testament to help us be reminded that, you know, hey, hey really honestly, I mean, let's just talk about this thing. We, we think of Christianity as, as really passive, as, as soft in nature. And we think about this Christian journey, you know, a lot of times erroneously as, you know, this soft path with no troubles and struggles and all that stuff. We think, we think about this life in terms of, you know, all blessing without any battle. Can I say to you that that is foreign to the New Testament text? The New Testament text is filled with struggle. It's it's filled with invading enemy territory. It is filled with 
with the passion and the drive and the conflict that comes from living out faith in a very loud way, in such a way that it penetrates the darkness. That's confrontational by nature, and it's opposed in realms above and in paths beneath. Y'all with me so far? All right. Y'all had to help me a little bit, okay? Y'all help me a little bit. The first crowd did. Sermon was real short, and, and everybody was blessed, right? We rarely think of ministry, the life of the church, the advancement of the gospel in the context of war. War is something that we have seen visually over the past few months as Russia has invaded Ukraine. Images of destruction and loss, refugees, mortar fire, combat troops, and all the horrors of war we see from a distance. And we don't think about the Christian experience in that way, but we should. We really, really should. I mean, if I, if I accomplish one thing this morning, it is, it's this. That is, start to think about this, this Christian journey as, as a battle. Know that there's been a battle that's raged for your soul. And as you strive to live godly in this present age, you're not going to be victorious without struggle, without battle. But it's a battle that we can step into forcefully without fear in the power of God. And we can win. But here's what happens. I mean, if we think of just this passive Christianity where it's all fluff and no stuff, then I'm just on my merry way, not, you know, not thinking. And I'm, I'm deceived. I'm knocked off course I'm ambushed and then all of a sudden I'm wondering what's going on you know why is this happening to me what you know and we maybe even begin to blame God I'm trying to say to you hey wake up pay attention as one pastor said you're not on a cruise ship you're on a battleship if if we adjust our mentality to think about this Christian life that way, then it helps us to be on guard, to watch for the devices and the wiles of the devil so that I'm not taken off guard. There's a, there's a fortress up. Y'all get it? We get it. Here we go. Making progress. It's hard, but we doing it. Praise the Lord. Let's ask some questions why hey why would Paul write to Timothy in this manner I wrote down four things just thoughts for you number one because this is a serious endeavor it's it's not passive but it but it's active hey it, it matters this this letter is addressed to the church that Paul says is the pillar and the ground of truth. It's, it's a big deal because here's the reality. In this culture, in this nation, in this time, there is no substitute for the church of the living God when it comes to that, that entity that proclaims truth. And not, not my truth, and not your truth, but absolute truth, divine truth. It's important that the church stand and thrive in this generation because this is the only place where you can find real truth. It matters. It's a big deal. The purity of the church is a big deal. The strength of the church is a big deal. The structure in which we operate is a big deal. Why? Because this, according to this letter, is the pillar and the ground of truth. You can't find it anywhere else. Every other truth that you hear is relative. It's what I think is truth or he thinks is truth. 
all those narratives. But there's a place, there's a there's an institution divinely ordained where the truth is to stand and be proclaimed. Listen, do you do you want your kids to know truth? Where are they going to find it? That's a that's a great question. I mean, we live in a generation where the church is negotiable. If I have time, it's important. If I feel like it, it's important. If I'm in a crisis, it's important. I mean, we, we, we treat the church as though it doesn't matter. It's a matter of convenience. But that's not what, that's not what the New Testament narrative is. The church is God's plan for humanity. It is the pillar and the ground of truth. It is the vehicle by which the world hears the gospel. It's the place where you and I can raise a family and kids can be nurtured up hearing real truth, a real solid foundation. It's not non-important. It's not unnecessary. It's essential. It matters. Paul writes in such a way because he wanted Timothy to understand, hey, this is a serious deal. If it didn't matter, I wouldn't be here. I'd be fishing on Sunday. Can I get a witness? But think about this. I mean, just think about this. There's a young lady in the sanctuary this morning at 9 o'clock. Beautiful young lady. Maybe 16 or 18 years old. And the people praise the Lord in the house this morning just singing praise to God. Hugging on one another. Just sweet, sweet fellowship. The truth of the word of God goes forth and and this young lady, this young lady is just embracing what God is speaking into her heart. We start to sing at the end of the message, and she just kind of slides out, makes her way down this way, and she says, Pastor, I want to be saved. And glory to God, brother, that's worth getting up for. Hey, that matters. Where else is she going to get that? Where, where else is that going to happen? It's in the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. For Paul, he's telling Timothy, fight a good fight. War a good warfare. Why? Because it matters. It's important. It's not negotiable. It's essential. What's, what's the reason for the verbiage? Number two is dangerous. This is a dangerous endeavor. He's saying to him, prepare for war. Don't be ambushed. Don't be caught unawares or off guard. This endeavor is costly. Why? Because it's about souls. There is nothing more valuable on the planet than a soul. Jesus said it like this. What would a man give in exchange for a soul? What would it profit if a man, if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? The answer to that is nothing. Why? Because the most valuable thing on the planet is you. It's a soul. Finally, it's that there is an enemy that's relentless in his opposition to all that is done in the name of Christ. Don't think it's strange when you do your best to step out and start to follow Jesus, and then it doesn't go like you planned. Don't, don't be dissuaded. Don't, don't be put off just because difficulty comes. I mean... Listen, it's coming. Jesus said it. It's, it's part of the journey. When I look at a text like this, I ask questions. I don't know how you read the text, but I ask questions. I'm going to present my questions to you, and you can answer them. This is going to be your homework. 
just, just questions. I, I read the text and I say, you know, hey, why, why such strong language? But, you know, what about this? Three different questions come to my mind. The first is, what, what are the weapons? I mean, hey, if, if I'm going to war a good warfare, then, then what are the weapons that I have at my disposal? Ephesians chapter 6 draws the reader in, and it talks about this spiritual armor that we put on. It talks about the shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel. It talks about the, the belt. Come on, y'all help me. Y'all know, y'all know. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, which is the word of God. Helmet of salvation, all that. Why, why does it talk like that? Here is, here is the question I come to the text because Paul says something pretty ear-catching for me to Timothy about his warfare. He says to him, war a good warfare according to the prophecies that have been spoken to you. And for me, that, that draws me in. I want to I know about that. But what I want to make sure that you understand is that there are some weapons that you have at your disposal so that you war a good warfare, whether you're fighting temptation or whether there's a spiritual struggle or, or whatever, then you have some weapons at your disposal. So we're going to look at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 just so that you know that they're not fleshly or carnal, but they are mighty through God. Your warfare, if you fight it in the flesh, you ain't going to win. Spiritual battles are not won through fleshly means. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, it's in my weakness. It's His strength in me that allows me to walk through temptation, to overcome doubt and fear and, and all that may torment my mind. The weapons that we have are the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God in prayer. And you cannot miss that. You want to be a vital believer. You want to be a strong believer. Then there has to be a steady diet of the Word of God in your daily routine. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That is, that is a necessary part of the strength of a believer. A believer that does not have the Word of God in use. I hear it. I read it. I internalize it. I apply it. I live it. The Word of God is essential to the strength of the believer. Somebody say, I got it, preacher. Come on, man. I mean, listen. The, the, the sword of the Spirit, that is, that is your weapon. You want to know how to fight deer, a fear. You want to know how to fight depression. You want to know how to fight the stronghold of the enemy. Yeah, fight those deer. Go get them. Tear them up. I mean, hey, let, let's, let's talk about it where we live. Have you ever heard so much talk about mental health issues? Okay. Let me, let me tell you something. Mental health issues are a real deal. It is, a, it is a real issue in our culture. Can I say to you, believer, you are not exempt. If you struggle mentally, then you talk to somebody. You, you talk to a counselor. You go... You seek help. Mental health is important in your life and mine. And so you don't need permission to the, from the pastor of the church to, to get help. But I want to say to you, if, if there are dark thoughts in your mind, suicide, depression, and those kind of things, then there is help for you. Reach out and get it. If you need me to help you, find some, some, some resources. Let's do it. You matter. Your mental health matters. I say that, and I want to I marry it. I want to partner it with, with this reality. 
If you want to fight fear and you want to fight anxiety and you want to fight depression and you want to fight those doubts, those struggles of the mind, let me say to you, there is no stronger source than the word of the living God. I mean, it speaks life. It speaks hope. It reminds us, not giving you the power of the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. When we start to put our feet on the promises of God and allow his word to, to do that work in us, it's transformative. It gives power. That's your weapon. Prayer is akin to it. They go hand in hand. Talk to the Lord about it. Hey, get his, get his ear. Get along in your closet. Pour your heart out to the Lord. Let him know your struggles and your fears and your hurts and your hang-ups and all, all that stuff. He's big enough. He'll give you healing that you don't see coming. The sword of the Spirit and the Word of God, the Spirit of Christ in you thrives at, as you immerse yourself in what He has written as the author of the unadulterated Word of God. He wrote it. He illuminates it in your heart and life. Brother, it'll bless you. There's some battles these days. These are dark times. Man, I could just stay here for a minute. It's not an accident that all of a sudden we're hearing about all mental illness and all that stuff. You want some prophecy? These are prophetic times. In these days, perilous times shall come. What does that mean? And that means fear and anxiety and depression. All of that pressurized times will come. We live in it. That's enough about that. Prophecies made concerning you. War a good warfare according to the prophecies made concerning you. Hey, what is that? Timothy, what, is, what, are, what are those prophecies that are going to give you the power to step into the arena, the church of Ephesus, with all this idolatry and, you know, spiritual darkness? How can you pastor and lay, you know, absolutes on the line in front of these people? What's going to give you the power to do that? It's the words of prophecy that have been spoken to Timothy. Now, I want to say to you, that you have the word of prophecy in your lap. You want to know what God has to say to you? You holding it. You want to hear what he's got to say? Open it up. It's a word for you in every situation, every circumstance. In this arena, Timothy doesn't have a New Testament. Timothy is receiving a letter from the aged apostle that's going to instruct him and help him. He doesn't have the full revelation that you and I have. But there are some prophecies that are spoken into his life. First and foremost, it's apostolic authority. In other words, Paul, as the aged apostle, he is speaking into the life of Timothy as a son and as a protege. And he's speaking into his life those things that God has said and those things that Paul has seen in him. He's encouraging him. He's exhorting him. There's church validation in his life as well. Paul's first missionary journey, Timothy is a convert. Paul comes back on his second missionary journey, and Timothy is already recognized in this group of believers as a leader. And he's going to leave that place, and he's going to follow Timothy. He's going to or follow Paul and go with him on mission. So there is not only apostolic authority that's spoken into his life that sees the gifts that God has given him, but there's also church validation. He's already raised up as a leader. I thought about this between services. You know, I don't have to look for leaders in the church. You know why? Because God chooses them. God always raises up leaders, and I don't have to, I don't have to call you a leader. God does that. It's recognized. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Isn't it good to know God knows what he's doing? 
there's apostolic influence, there's church validation. By this point, there's possibly and probably a presbytery that's been put into place to ordain Timothy. Acts chapter 6 is possibly the first deacons. Acts chapter 13 is our first evidence of a presbytery, John, where men of God gather around Paul and they gather around Silas and they they recognize God's giftedness on, on them and they pray over them and then they send them out for mission. There's validation in the church. There is ordination where they are sent. Hey, why, why does that matter? What's the big deal about that? Well, you walk into a church that's full of corruption where there's you know, all kinds of things that have to be corrected and battles to fight. As a young, timid man, there needs to be some power in your spirit to say, hey, Paul has spoken to me. He's encouraged me. He's written to me. He's helped me. He's, he's seen in me what I didn't see in myself. The church has commissioned me. There's other brothers that love me and care about me, and they have encouraged me in this task. The church... The church needs my leadership. It gives perspective. It gives authority to, to lead well and not give up, but to fight a good warfare. Man, God has called you, equipped you, is equipping you, and will equip you. We see it in you. The church needs you. So that's the first question. What are the prophecies? I just told you. What about this? What caused the shipwreck? I mean, two guys called by name. They're Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus, man, what's going on? Alexander, what, what's, what's the deal? You guys are prominent in Scripture. I mean, we don't really know anything else about you other than what we read in this text. So what's, what's, going, what's going on? What caused shipwreck? To crash on the rocks and, and be destroyed. What happened? Two men expelled from the assembly. Excommunicated. Hymenaeus and Alexander. We don't know much about these individuals. But there's a few takeaways. Number one, these men are prominent. Here's how we know that. Because their names are known. They're given to us in Scripture. And so Timothy would have recognized these two names. They would have been synonymous with whatever was going on. And so they're prominent. Most scholars would say of these two men that they're prominent leaders in this church. Why? Because the beginning of the letter addresses false teachers. And immediately following, there's going to be instruction on the qualifications of godly leaders. And in the middle of that, you have these two names that rise to, to our attention. Why? Because they're prominent. They're known. They're not just passers-by or somebody who just stopped by on Sunday, but they have a place. In fact, they're probably teachers and leaders in the assembly. Name recognition, but they are possibly prominent because teachers... And in place of leadership, and we've, you know, I've already beat this subject up, but what, what, what causes, you know, let's just say, hey, Hymenaeus is a good guy. He comes to faith in Christ. He's serving in the church. He's loving people. And eight years removed, all of a sudden, he's teaching heresy. drift if I could say it a thousand times let me speak it into your spirit drift nobody wakes up one day and says I want to be a heretic there's always a fade whether it's major denominations I mean track with me major denominations that are founded on godly principles by godly men who set up framework and structure for whole denominations and then slide to the 21st century. And now we're living by a different set of 
guidelines and expectations of, of people, leaders, and so now we accommodate culture in the church rather than being steadfast and sound in what God said. It was good in the beginning, and it's necessary to stay true. Drift can happen in your life and in yours and in mine. Just a slow fade. It used to be all right, or it wasn't all right, but now it's all right. No big deal. Not hurting anybody else. Whatever. Drift. Why the battle? Battle drift in, in your life personally. We need to battle drift in our life collectively as a group of believers. What was their major sin? What's the deal? Twofold. Rejection of faith and rebellion against conscience. We see that in the first part of the chapter. We see it in these few verses. What's their, what's their transgression? They have forsaken the faith. What is the faith? That literally is the pure gospel. That is the word of God. They have gone against the true teachings of the gospel, the word of God. And so they've drifted from true sound doctrine to false doctrine and have become false teachers. There's been a drift. What else? They have gone against conscience. What is conscience? Conscience is that God that God has put in each of us. You have one and I have one. You can violate it. You can dominate it. It can be seared, but God put that in you, and it either accuses or excuses. When enlightened by the Spirit of God, it is a great compass for life. In order for them to, to allow this drift to continue, there has to be a rebellion against conscience. Well, I know it doesn't, you know, I know it's not quite right, but I'm going to, you know, move in that direction. Here is, here's some, kind of some conclusion. This is uh, quotes from MacArthur. He says, Bad theology has its roots in bad morals. Those who teach error do so in order to substitute a system that accommodates their sin. Why do we move from sound doctrine? I mean, whether it's a major denomination or a church individual, I mean, there are some major, major battles going on in big circles when it has to do with church leadership, whether it's women pastors or whether it's homosexual clergy. I mean, you, you mark that stuff down and just know that those are major issues that are debated in large arenas and circles. And that stuff trickles down into local congregations. And that's conflict. That's, that's battlegrounds. Because there's truth. How do we know? We have it. We don't slide from it. We stand on it. Doctrinal purity must be accomplished or accompanied by purity of life. There is an inseparable link between truth and morality, between right belief and right behavior. Sound doctrine and godly living are the twin towers guarding the purity of the church. Don't adjust your theology to justify your sin. That's the easy way to say that. The last thing that that I ask of the text. What does it mean to be delivered to Satan? That just sounds bad. So what does it mean? To be delivered to Satan. There is this thrusting. It is, it is Greek language that literally is thrust these men are not passively asked to slide out the back door but they are thrust out of the assembly 
and they are delivered to Satan. It is this removal from the assembly, the removal from the church. Why is that such a big deal? Just to draw you in for a minute. The church is God's institution. There is protection in the assembly. It is divinely blessed that way. It is like this. When we come together in the assembly, we are kindred spirit. There is love one for another. There is, I mean, there is just a sweetness. There is a blessing. Why, why do you say, hey, I really didn't feel like coming to the house of God, but I came and I got them. You know, and I left, and I'm glad, and I'm glad I did. Why? Why is that? There, because there is, there is a blessing element that God has endued in in His church. It it matters to be part of God's church. There is a a covering. There is a blessing. There is a there's an insulation from the world. I really didn't think about it until I was preaching myself to. This morning. Y'all know that I learn from my own sermon sometimes. I, I really do. I mean, I, w- I was thinking for them to be thrust out. Hey, hey, what, what, what is, you know, what, what is that? That's to be out from under the, the covering. Because here's, here's the deal. When, when we come together, this assembly, this church, this group of believers, man, there is, there is so much blessing. What, what if tragedy happens in your life? I mean, what, what if there's loss? What if there's, you know, unemployment? What if there's whatever? Just this unexpected crisis. I ask myself this question. How does anybody walk through death without hope, without Christ, without other believers? How, I mean, how, does, how do people, how do, how do you walk through? Man, some of the things that we have to walk through in life, even as believers, without God's people. To be thrust out. That's a scary thing. So what's the purpose of thrusting them out? That they might learn not to blaspheme. It's educational discipline. That they might know the error of their ways. That they might know that they can't speak against the things of Christ. Against the church to propagate false doctrine. They need to know that. They need to understand that. They've been thrust out so that they can learn that. Learn not to blaspheme. So what happens when they learn? Here's here's the thing. We, We know well how to thrust out. In fact, we, we normally don't see that much anymore where you watch people thrust out in a public way. It normally happens in a private way. Mostly happens as, well, I'll just leave. We don't do well when it comes to restoration and bringing back home. Here's, here's one thing that we need to learn well. It's, it's okay to s- stand on sound doctrine, teach it well, know it's true, and thrust out false teachers. Can I get a witness? That's biblical. That's right. When they learn, there's repentance. If there's repentance, then restoration needs to happen. What does that, you know, what, what does that leave for you? How, do you? how do you process today's message individually? What are the prophecies spoken about you? You need to know that. I am loved. I am favored. I am a child of the king. I am an inheritor of eternal blessings. I mean, listen. We, we need to know the prophecies spoken 
over us as God's people. Walk in that. There's power in that. What else do I need to, to learn from today? This is war. Quit being passive in your walk. Don't be ambushed or derailed. War, a good warfare. It matters. That's enough. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to sing together. It's, it's so good to have Jeremy and the crew back today. Anyway, we're going to sing together. Leave that way. I want us to, hey, take a minute. I want us to pray together. Burdens on your mind, take this time. Lay them before the Lord. That means you want to come and kneel. Hey, you do that. If you want to do that in your seat, you do that. Just like this morning, hey, if there's somebody in the assembly needs to be saved, it's a great day to get saved. The best way, the easiest way, just step out of your seat. You may say, that's not easy. It'll be easy once you make the first step. Make your way down this way. All you got to say is, Pastor, I'm ready to be saved. I asked Isabella this morning, I said, have you been thinking about this for a while? She said, three weeks. I said, okay. Let's talk about it. Anyway, if that's, if that's your day, then you make, you make your way. Anyway, I, I want you to let God do what He wants to do in your heart. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. You worship. Lord bless. Lord bless. You have. You will. You continue to. You're good. And you're gracious and kind. And God, you have given us the tools to thrive and to live in perilous times and to do so above the mass, above the mess. Empower your people by your word and the strength of your spirit. God, give us a measure of strength as we walk in that together as your people. Glorify your son in this moment. Do what you do in Christ's name.